0: God, and uh, how that uh, as as we're to be conformed to the image of of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we should have the same thoughts, the same vision. uh, Jesus understood the Father's heart. We should too. We should understand that God has a heart for evangelism. That's not just something he throws out to a few people within the body of Christ to do. Uh, the Father's heart is to reach out to people evangelistically. Uh, As Jesus understood eternal realities, um, because uh, the death rate is still 100% as far as I know, we should understand eternal realities too. People are dying without Christ every day. Your friends, your relatives, the people that you know, people you're in contact with. Uh, Also, Jesus uh, understood better than anyone else the potential in people. And we get to see the potential in people, how that people who uh, are sinners, uh, if they could be turned on to Christ and filled by the Spirit of God, could do great things evangelistically. And uh, so people did matter to God. Remember, I said as we grow in our Christian faith, our arms should open up wider and wider and wider in our love to God. As we praise Him, as we worship Him, as we adore Him, as we love Him. So that the last day that I'm on this earth, I should be wide open in my love toward Him. And because I love Him, I should be horizontally wide open in love toward people. And concerned about people. And realizing that people need to hear the truth. Okay, tonight, clear communication. Um, I don't know how many of you know Bill Hybels or have heard of him, but he's a pastor in Chicago, Willow Creek, and, and I want to start out with a little story that I think will help us get, get cracking tonight. The moment is inevitably etched in my memory, says Bill. Lynn, that's his wife, and I were on a sailing trip. After anchoring in a harbor for the night, we got into a conversation with some people who invited us to come to their boat later to spend some time socializing with them and a few of their friends. We accepted their invitation, and that evening we got into our dinghy and motored over to their yacht. I've never done that. I only know what a dinghy is, but I'm sure that if you're on yachts, you know what they are. They were a very hospitable group of people, and we enjoyed getting to know them. It soon became clear that they weren't, they were not, believers. Believers. But when in the course of our discussions they asked what I did for a living, none of them seemed to be taken back when I told them that I was a pastor of a church. They were just cordial and friendly, and we had a good time. It was when we were in the process of leaving that the moment came. Lynn had already climbed down the ladder into the dinghy, and I was halfway down myself when one of the people who had invited us us aboard said, Say, Bill. Before you leave, can you answer a question? I've always wanted to ask a Christian what it means to become one. Wow. What it means to become one. Could you tell all of us? There I was, one foot in the dinghy and one hand on the boat's railing, looking up at all these people who were standing there holding their pina coladas and waiting to see what I was going to say. I knew I had their undivided attention for at least 45 seconds. <laughs> I had the opportunity to summarize what it means to become a real Christian. Wow, what would we do in a, with an opportunity like that? Uh, it was, I guess, 14, 15 months ago that I went to Cuba on a uh, missionary trip, an evangelistic missionary trip with Ben Clark, Katie Clark, uh, Jimmy Martin, and myself. And we. Um, we gathered together with some other people from San Diego and Seattle and went into Cuba. And we went in for the purpose of, of evangelism, being evangelistically moving toward that particular country. We had a wonderful time. Uh, God blessed us, and we knocked on doors. Um, there was, we didn't know those people at all. This wasn't friendship evangelism in Cuba. This was meeting people for the first time, trying to strike up a conversation through an interpreter and then sharing your faith. And God bless. God used us. But what I remember uh, about that trip was was the flight from um, Dallas back to Memphis. Because I was on the side where there's three seats, and I sat on the inside where I could stretch out, and there was Jimmy Martin, and there was a young lady, about 21 or 22 years of age. And uh, she was from Puerto Rico. And we'd been out about 10 or 15 minutes, and I saw Jimmy Martin pull this thing out and start talking about it. We'd use this uh, in, in in Mexico, I mean, excuse me, in Cuba. It's an Evangel cube. Uh, it tells the whole story of the gospel in a cube. It's really kind of neat if you don't know the people's language because they can see as you talk about it. And uh, so he had the, the Evangel cube out and was talking to this Puerto Rican girl who spoke English and was coming to Memphis for some um, health services training. She was going back to Puerto Rico. She was in the medical field. And I could see that she was very interested and very serious. And in the process of 10, 15, 20 minutes, I saw her bow her head and pray to receive Christ as her Savior. Wow. An airplane ride back from Dallas. Uh, Standing between a uh, a yacht and a dinghy, looking up at people drinking pina coladas. Uh, You never know when God is going to provide an opportunity to those have a heart for evangelism what would you have said in those situations uh, what would been your response uh, to the man on the yacht uh, what would you do if god opened the door uh, to you like he did to jimmy and that young lady well i'm sure there are influences there'd be things that would influence you uh, your personality would be a factor you know what kind of personality you have some are more outgoing than others uh, some are more shy than others your personality is going to affect you in a natural kind of way uh, your spiritual gifting as a believer would affect you I'm sure if you had the gift of evangelism that you would, I would hope you'd be quick to respond in these opportunities and, and bring answers and, and present them with truth mm-hmm. but uh, again we all have the uh, responsibility to do the work of an evangelism To fulfill our ministry, no one is excluded uh, from sharing their faith. Uh, I'm sure that would be a factor, an influence. Your experiences, if if you've ever shared your faith before, or or maybe you've done it several times, that would be a factor, too, the experience that you have in sharing it. And also, training and and techniques. Now, at Gracie Van, we've adopted two that we teach uh, congregation-wide. Uh, we have an excellent program called Evangelism Explosion that will be starting up again in September. And we have a number of our men and ladies that are involved in training and teaching that, and, and uh, it's an excellent program. G. James Kennedy is the founder of that, and our own pastor became a Christian because G. James Kennedy came to his house. You know that. Evangelism Explosion is, is probably the most comprehensive a uh, plan that I know of or strategy that I know It's a very good plan. I'd encourage you to, to check the bulletin and see when it's offered and get involved in it. That's one of our, our adopted uh, techniques or, or plans or strategies. I teach the other one, and it's called one-verse evangelism. And it's good, too. Not better, not worse. It's, it's another plan, uh, which is based upon uh, the verse Romans 6.23. And the outline is within that particular verse. And uh, we have also, as a church, adopted the policy that anyone who goes on a mission trip takes an evangelism course. And uh, so all of our people who have gone out are, have been trained in evangelism. In fact, our senior high got a double dip. because I believe Pat Scholes uh, taught them on Wednesday nights, and then, of course, I taught them one verse. So they, they are well prepared to go forward. So those things would be our influences, I believe, if we were in the situation of Bill Hybels or Jimmy Martin. But the Bible warns us in 1 Peter 3.15, Always be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. Always be prepared. In 2 Timothy 4.2 it says, be prepared in season and out of season to preach the Word of God. In Matthew 5, it tells us, as believers in Jesus Christ, that we're to be salt, that we're to be light in this world. Very clear, we're to be involved in evangelism. And I have, I have discovered this, and I have, I have shared my faith a number of times. I have discovered this, that it's not up to... To me what they do with what I share. It's not up to me how they respond to the message. Certainly I'd love to see them respond positively but it's not up to me. It's not about me and uh, I think that many of you know that election and human responsibility can work together and they do work together. I heard, I was listening to Sandy Wilson last Sunday coming in I, because I come into church, and Sandy was talking about this subject, and and he mentioned Spurgeon, who was asked the question, um, how do you reconcile election with human responsibility? How do you reconcile those? He says you don't, because you don't reconcile good friends. Election, God choosing, is certainly true. But human responsibility is also involved. And so, why try to reconcile them, Spurgeon said, they both are sound. Because of that, I leave it up to God. You know, I started out sharing the gospel, and I thought it was like trying to sell a car. I had to sell a car, and if I didn't sell them on Jesus, I'd failed. And uh, I have learned that it is not up to me. It's up to God. And I've shared this with, with several groups. This is This is probably what brings it home as much as anything. I coached basketball for 18 years. And I made a vow to God when I went into coaching that every player that played for me would hear the gospel and hopefully see it lived through me. I'm imperfect. I'm I'm a sinner. But I wanted them to hear and, and to see the gospel. And you know what? There were some of the guys and some of the gals, because I had couple girls teams in there too that became Christians there were some who became Christians but what blows me away is calls and letters that I get even now who when I shared the gospel did not respond and yet they're calling me Mike Copeland point guard for me an African American he is pastor of a nice sized church in Kansas City right now Uh, Stuart Bell is a pastor over in Arkansas. Joel Hyder is a Christian coach. Said he's trying to do the same things with his teams that I did. Ron Russell came out of Catholicism and now is a lay leader in his church. And the story goes on and on. These are guys that did not respond when I was their coach, but they heard. And what do we know from the scripture? Who gives the increase? God gives the increase. We have the privilege of telling, of speaking, of living that gospel. But it is God's the one who does it. Praise God. Now, but it's our responsibility to make it as clear as possible. And that's where we all need work. It's our responsibility to make it, to take it, and to make it as clear as possible. And some of you may have seen this little formula. That is, HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. Some of you probably know what that means, but let me help you if you don't. The HP refers to high potency. As a Christian, the highest potency we can receive is the Holy Spirit in us, working through us. Oh, can you tell the difference when the Spirit of God is working? Whether you're speaking one-on-one or speaking to a group, you can tell when the Spirit is upon you. And we need the power of God. It's not within my flesh to lead anybody to Christ. I need the Spirit. High potency. Close proximity is the next one, CP. And that is simply to say that we ought to be developing relationships that we hope later to use evangelistically. We ought to be developing friends. We ought to be in contact with people where we work and in our neighborhoods and where we play, our kids play sports. We ought to be developing people and developing a close proximity. I am not saying by making that statement, CP, that you can't knock on a door like I did in Cuba and like our evangelist teams do here in Memphis. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. God is sovereign in both of those situations. What I am saying is that the numbers seem to indicate that many people come to Christ because of relationship because of being related to a person and the person therefore earns the right to share their faith now guess what CC means clear communication that's what it means we should do it we should evangelize clearly and if we'll have those three things on the left side of the equal signs we'll have maximum impact we'll have maximum influence If we have potency, proximity, and clear communication. All right. If you had the 45 seconds, um, if uh, you were in Jimmy Martin's situation, I think there's some common elements that probably would come out of any gospel presentation. Next week, we're going to be looking at helping you find the approach that fits you. That's the last one that I'm doing. Finding the approach that fits you. And there is an approach that fits different people for the reasons I mentioned earlier. But there are common elements that are in all presentations, all strategies, all techniques. I've looked at EEs. I've been a trainer and a trainee there. I looked at one verse. These elements are in it, and they should be. And I want to put them up on the board and then talk to you about each one of those these four which would be common elements that you would find in any present, presentation of the gospel um, let's put God us Christ and you God us when you talk about God when you talk about us we need to talk about Jesus Christ the Lord Jesus Christ and then we need to talk about you Common elements in any gospel presentation. What about God? First of all, we know He's loving. He's loving. That's a characteristic of His that's relevant in evangelism, that He loves. That He's got those arms wide open to people. And He made us to desire relationships with other people. He loves us so much. And even as rebellious sinners, He patiently extends that love to us. God is loving. He's also holy. God is holy. He is absolutely pure and separated from everything that's impure. And when He searches us in our heart with the light of His holiness, nothing escapes Him. It's kind of like somebody going into a house and it's a dark corner. You can't see the dirt. You can't see the dust. You can't see the grind. You take a spotlight and you shine it. You see everything. God's holiness does that to your sin and my sin. It show, we, we, are, we are naked before Him. And I want to say it's not pretty. But God is holy. And He's just. He's like a judge that can't, can't wink at a broken law. He can't do that. He's the per, perfect judge who dispenses judge, uh, justice to everyone. Alright. That's God. He's loving. He's holy. He's just that's the basic element a second one would be us what's our situation Uh, we were created good but rebelled and became evil I'm speaking of Adam before the fall he was innocent Uh, he had a state of righteousness uh, and he was perfect before the fall but sin creates our sin creates the death penalty upon us and we're spiritually dead We're not alive. We're spiritually dead. If you'll permit me to use an old basketball story, I'll explain how that was really driven home to me. Spiritually dead. Can I tell it, John? We played Colorado. I was in the Big 12. That's purple pride country, Rick. And we hated to go play University of Colorado. You know why? Altitude. Hard to breathe. You'd get cotton mouth the first two or three times down the court. It was tough to play. We were playing my senior year. I was captain, and we were getting ripped at the halftime. We were down 15, 20 points. Coach blew, blew into all of us at halftime, you know, like a coach can, try to get us to play well, and then he hit on me. And he told me I was playing terrible, and how could I dare do what I'm doing? And then he said, you know, you look like you're sick. Are you? No, no, no. He said, Well, we'll get you back to, to Manhattan. You're checking in the hospital. We're going to give you an extensive uh, checkup because nobody could play as bad as you're playing and not be sick. <laughs> he said, You know what? You look like you're dead out there. You look like the living dead. Now, think of that in terms of spiritually dead. Isn't that our case? We're born, we live. We do our thing. But until Christ comes in, what are we? Spiritually dead. Physically alive, yes. But we're absolutely spiritually dead. And that's our situation. We're helpless to change the situation. We can do nothing. Now, Christ, he's the problem solver. Because he was God and he was man. He came to give us answers. He's the answer man. He's the problem solver. And Christ died as our substitute in my place and in your place. And he suffered the death penalty that I deserved. He suffered it. He took it upon himself. And in doing so, he expressed the the love of God. He upheld the holiness of God. And he satisfied the justice of God. Wow. We have a wonderful Savior. A wonderful Savior. Can you say amen to what Jimmy has been saying? The gospel is even better news than we ever imagined it to be. It is. The fourth essential element in any gospel presentation is you. And what are you going to do with it? The ball is now in your court when you present the gospel. Yes, I know elections involved. We've already talked about that. But the ball then becomes in your court. What are you going to do? Jesus is the only way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way. The only way you can receive the gift of eternal life. The only way you can receive forgiveness is in Him. And a lot of people erroneously believe if they go to church, they'll make it. If they're born into a Christian family, they'll make it. If they try to be moral or religious, they can make it. Not true. That is not the truth. All right. So here's something to think about. All these things are elements of telling the gospel story. And I think when any any type of strategy or technique that you use should have this in. Okay, but so we want to talk about clear communication. And I want to talk about barriers and stumbling blocks now to clear communication. Because there are some. There are some things that, that hinder clear communication as we bring the gospel out. Uh, that creates doubts in those that we're witnessing to. Uh, we have a story in the New Testament, uh, New Testament about a doubter, doubting Thomas. Um, you know the story. I don't believe it. I don't believe he's alive. Yeah, I've heard you talk about him, but I don't believe he's alive. I've got to see it. He was probably angry at the disciples. Here I have. I've wasted three years of my life following this Jesus around. And now he's gone. I'm through with it. It's over. I'm through with this Christianity. He doubted, you see. Even though they told him, he's alive. This Jesus is alive after his resurrection. He doubted it. And then, into the room, steps Jesus. And he steps in. And he locks on. And you know who he locked on? Thomas. The disciples probably covered their eyes and said, Now Big Mouse is going to get it. Now he's in trouble. Jesus walks over to him. says two words. You know what they were? Touch me. Just touch me. didn't say, you're out of here. You're off the team. You've blown it. Dropped dead. I don't need you anymore. He said, touch me. Well, if a Christian can have doubts and create barriers, We've got to remove them as we witness and evangelize others. And I think there are uh, four or five that I want to share with you tonight which block our communicating the gospel to our culture. And here are the five that are barriers and stumbling blocks to sharing with our culture evangelistically. Let's talk about each one of them if we can The first one, as you see, is misperceptions. People have misperceptions when the gospel is shared to them. And they'll come up with the idea, if I commit to this Christ, I can kiss my life goodbye. It's over. No more life for me. Finished. I'm done. And they'll usually brand the Christian as a loser. I don't want to be connected with those losers who can do nothing else with their lives. Well... Probably the reason is because some Christian has given them a two-cent answer to a million-dollar question. People come up with good questions, and they deserve good answers. But when we mamby-pamby and try to to beat around the bush and don't try to answer their question and fear their questions, they come up with misperceptions like this. You know, we're quick to tell the non-believer, this is what I don't do, aren't we? I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. You know, we can all come up with our lists. And I'm telling you, people are tuning the believers out because of their lists and because of what they say they never do. How you break that barrier is this way. Christians start saying, I favor love over the keeping of the law. Not saying the law is bad, but I favor love over keeping the law. Uh, I favor truth over trivialities. I'm telling you, you hear truth here. You hear it every Sunday, every Wednesday night, and in your Sunday school classes and everything that's done. And that's good, because we should want truth over trivialities. A lot of people given trivialities. And faith over frantic activity. But people are kept out of the kingdom because of misperceptions. The second one is bad teaching. Just bad teaching. And what the non-believer there is happening with them is they're picturing God as a killjoy, Um, a disinterested deity, an old man in the sky. Um, And the way you break that barrier is simply good teaching and to teach them about the good, faithful character of God. People are being turned off because of natural fears. They have natural fears. If I commit to this thing that this man or this woman is sharing with me, wonder what God's agenda is going to be for my life. Am I going to have to go to Siberia? Uh, what's it going to cost me? You know, what's going to happen if I if I put my faith in this Jesus? What can I expect between here and heaven? How do you break the barriers? of these kind of questions by asking Him what kind of God do you think He is? Who told you that God is a taker and not a giver? I've never found Him to be a taker. He's given and given and given and given to me. What is our What kind of a perception do they have of God if they have these natural fears? And one of the things I, I like the best about Christianity is it not only prepares you to to die. When you die, you you go to heaven. Eternal life. The gift of God. Eternal life. But it teaches you how to live. Christ in me. The hope of glory. Christ lives in me. Oh, what salvation is this? That Christ, think of it. Christ lives in you. He's not out there on the periphery. He's in here. And I tell you, I can commit to that. I can believe in that. People have natural fears. They have intellectual roadblocks, uh, questions and objections that cause doubts um, about the veracity of Christianity. Um, be aware of statements like, when you get stumped, well, you just have to take it by faith. You ever heard that one? I have. Cringed when I heard it. You just have to accept it by faith. That's what I did. Well, that's true. But if you're dealing with a person that's a non-believer. What kind of message does that say to them? Uh, you've got to break that barrier down by showing the, 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 the superiority of a biblical position and the truth of that Word of God. And never, listen to this, never be discouraged if you don't have the answer to the question. Thank them for their question. Tell them you'll talk to Dr. Young. Yeah. Richard Hall. Uh, Jim Umlaw I might even be able to answer a couple Talk to somebody you know That that knows a particular subject area Don't be embarrassed to say I don't know But I'm going to help you I'm going to find the answer And even when Thomas doubted What was his final What was the final statement Thomas makes One of the best prayers in the Bible My Lord and my God Bang Boy, he saw it. And when we, when we love people and tell them we'll help them, we want to help them. We'll help them get the answer. They'll listen. The last one, this is the one where you wake up on, Jay. Uh, moral misgivings. Moral misgivings. Uh, you can get in a discussion with a Christian and they'll say, I just can't accept it. They'll finally say, I just can't accept it. I love this one. Because there's, there's more issue than them just being able to accept it. Almost always. I've, I've had some experience with this. I'm going to share one with you I had this week. Moral misgivings. Because it's, it's much more. There's something else there. You know what it almost always is? Every time you say always, you're excluding every other answer. But in my experience, it's almost always something they don't want to give up. The problem is not what I told them and not the truth of the gospel. It's they got a hold of something that they don't want to morally give up. It's a secret sin. And you you know what the secret sins are out there, don't you? It's a secret sin. And they're hanging on to it. Now, you have to be real careful on this, but one of the best barrier breakers here is call their bluff. Yeah, call their bluff. What is, what is the issue you're dealing with? Now, here's my example. I've got a young man that I've been uh, counseling for months. Months. And he's dealing with three, not one, not two, but three addictions. And he has done pretty well with a couple of them. They're, they're lurking around but he's doing a pretty good job with them. But he's still, still facing one of them. And we had, uh, we had a talk this week. And I, I got down to what I thought was a good question to ask him. And that question is right there on the board. What are the benefits of what you're doing? And what are the costs? I'm going to tell you the one he's struggling with now. It's alcohol addiction. That's the one now. He said, I'm scared to death of of, of, uh, uh, the other drugs that he's involved in, cocaine. And he said, I'm scared to death of them, so I'll use alcohol to keep me away from cocaine. Well, he's still addicted. He's still struggling with it. So, I, I put this to him this week. And I got out a piece of paper. And I said, benefits. All right, to the boy, this young man. Tell me. Him. I want to list them. And if I need another sheet of paper, I'll be glad to get it out. Let's, let's get the benefits down on paper from your drinking alcohol and getting drunk. He, he believes that he has to get high at least once a week. Sometimes twice. But at least once, he believes that, and it's a it's a stronghold. We know about it, and I love this guy. I don't love anybody in this situation, you know. I work with him. I help him, but it's an addiction. All right, here's what he came up with. I like the taste. It tastes good. It's fun. All right, I wrote that down. It's fun. My friends are into it all right friends into it Uh, and then he started slowing down and stuttering a little bit and he says uh, it helps me to relax and that was the end of it all right you gave me a good list Hmm. let's look at the cost I get to write these down do you ever say things you later regret Every time I'm drunk, you spend a lot of money. I had him here because he'd already told me that they're that very common for him to take three or four hundred dollars out on a Friday or a Saturday night, and the next day have none of it, lose it all. Do um, you ever have hangovers? How do you deal with them? Oh, it's painful. Oh man, it's painful. Have you ever had a blackout? He'd had one. Well, he didn't know where he was. Didn't know what he what he had done. He called it a seizure. But it was a blackout. How much time do you spend on these nights? Five, six hours? Waste a lot of time and energy, don't you? Yeah. Um, you ever heard of cirrhosis of the liver? It's a disease that people who who drink beer anyhow are very prevalent to get. It's pretty good probability you're going to go, go strongly into this addiction too. Or you, do you realize that? And he had he had one time hit a telephone pole. totally his car. I knew that too. I also knew that he had two DWIs. you ever get DWIs? Did you ever think of the fact that you may be risking other, other people's lives? Yes, yes, I could go on and on and on. Now, I told him, God loves you, and God wants to help you with this stronghold. And there's a way out. There is a way out. It may be treatment. Yeah, Treatment may be what you need. Uh, it may be a commitment to God. There's a lot of ways that you can come out. But God loves you and wants to help you with this problem. All right, there they are barriers conclusion let me share this word clear communication is powerful communication and God the Holy Spirit gives high potency and maximum impact to the spirit filled communicator and wouldn't it be wonderful if we came up with a lot of people that bought into evangelism and helping to build a climate of evangelism here and did it with clear communication. Uh, like I said last week, I hope the time comes, that when we're in the halls on Sunday, not that I don't like to talk about Kansas State beating Tennessee and sports and all the other things that men and women talk about. That's wonderful. But wouldn't it be wonderful if people went down the halls saying, I shared the gospel last week. I shared it. And I've got somebody that I'm I'm talking to. i developed a friendship. I think they're going to listen. Uh, I've got to tell you about Rayal, my Hispanic, and I'll pray. told you last week about him. I'm building a relationship with him. Out where I live, most of the people work on the houses are Hispanics. He happens to work in the golf course. But I'm getting closer with him. And he speaks 20% English. I met him Monday night out looking for golf balls. Monday night when I get off work, I go find golf balls. And I was, I was talking to Rayal and, and he said, what do you do? I said, minister. What's a minister do? I said, Rayal, I'd love to tell you what a minister does. Uh, you're on the clock right now, but sometime I'll get you, and we'll go get a Coke, and I'll tell you what a minister does. You know what I want to do. I want to share the gospel and then leave it up to God. But tune in for the continuing story on Jeff and Rayal as we go through this life. But do you have a Rayal? Or a Betty or a Susie or a Jim or somebody. I pray that you do. Uh, I talked to two people today that told me that God has really convicted them to be more evangelistic. I said, praise God. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us the gospel which is better news than we ever imagined. Lord, help us to communicate it clearly to those who need you so desperately. God, give us the boldness and the, the, the courage that we need to speak for you. Bless these people as they leave. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good week. Finding the approach that fits you. That's next week. The last one. Finding the approach that fits you.